Bravely Being, a podcast for sisterly conversation where we unpack life shit, stress, loss, emotional turmoil. We've all been there and it's normal. We believe it's time to bring these issues into the light, delve inward and move forward. So we welcome everyone on our journey and hope our conversations resonate with you as we lean in, listen and learn from each other. This is Bravely Being with Danica and Megan and Cass. Welcome to episode two, Resiliency with Cass Martin. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love you both. I'm so excited. <laughs> Big fan. Long time <laughs> listener. First time guest. <laughs> We're so excited just, to have you here. Yeah, you're Thank just you such so such a bright light. So before we get delving into the deep stuff about resiliency, um, let's give you a little bit of a snapshot of who Cass Ford Martin is. And um, in my opinion, Cass is just like this big ball of sunshine. Um, some words that come to mind when I think of Cass Martin is that um, he is just so positive, intelligent, kind, and strong. Um, and I just, um, my heart explodes when I think of Cass Martin. Um, <laughs> he is a proud gay trans man who is an advocate for the LGBTQA plus community and for music education. I actually met Cass um, kind of, I would like to think maybe on the cusp of your turn towards public policy from music education. We were both interning with the National Association for Music Education um, in D.C., during the summer of 2018 and Cass was um, in college at Smith College um, representing the only boys at <laughs> Smith College um, and I was out of my first year of teaching and so um, Cass and I shared a cubicle and um, man that was just such a fun summer. Um, I would always share a cubicle with you Cass Martin. <laughs> I wish we still shared a cubicle, Megan. I really do. <laughs> no cubicle was... has been the same since. <laughs> no. Uh, like, I don't think I would survive being in a cubicle with anyone else. Oh, right back at you. <laughs> I miss you every day. And that was such a sweet introduction. Oh, my gosh. You didn't tell me I'd be getting teary so early in. You're so Aww. nice. <laughs> Thank you well, so much. It doesn't stop there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this year, Cass started the Paula Ford Martin Memorial Fund, a nonprofit created in memory of his mother who passed away from breast cancer in March 2020. The Paula Ford Martin Memorial Fund provides scholarships to LGBTQ plus students and their allies in Middlesex and New Haven, Connecticut. In addition to this, Cass is also pursuing his master's degree in public policy from the University of Massachusetts, and he proposed to his super cute fiance, Jesse, this year. Congrats. Thank you. I'm so excited. No <laughs> pandemic wedding. <laughs> we are waiting for the record. No, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. And thank you again for the beautiful introduction. That's so kind. I don't think I've ever had a, an intro that long for anything before. <laughs> I feel very important. Well, you, <laughs> you are worthy. You are. Is there anything you want to add to that? I'd say uh, I'm living in uh, Haydenville right now. It's a little village in Western Massachusetts. Um, Jesse and I are trying to stay sane by going on lots of hikes. Um, sometimes we take the cat out on a leash when it's warm <laughs> enough. So if you ever spot us, <laughs> say hi. It'll be pretty obvious. Cat on leash. 
I love that about you, taking Thank your you cat so on a leash. Like, you have to be a very special person, and He's you are. experience that. the outside world. I wouldn't <laughs> deprive him of that. Of course not. So, um, doing an episode about resiliency, um, in my thinking about it, made me look up the definition of resilience. That's the good student in me. And um, so I thought I would share that as we kind of delve in to resiliency and what it means to us. Us and what we have learned um, to become resilient. And so resilience, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness, um, the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape, elasticity. I probably messed that one up. Did I say that right? Elasticity? That's that a hard word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Danica, when we were talking about questions to ask you, um, really like the sentence of resilience um, that they used in, in the definition. Nylon is excellent in wearability and resilience. <laughs> All right, nylon. <laughs> I just yeah. like the equate resilience with nylon. So. That's so funny. And only nylon, you know? And then the other sentence they use is the often remarkable resilience of so many British institutions. Um, of course, it's not American institutions. <laughs> Gotta be the British institution. So <laughs> resilience. But, you oh, know, in reading these definitions, I kind of thought they were inaccurate. Like, those aren't the... that When I'm thinking of how I define resiliency, it's not really... Um, in line with what I read. So Cass, what is resiliency to you? Well, to me, um, I also think that the definition falls a little bit short. Um, I think that definition implies that to be resilient, you have to just sit there and kind of withstand anything that gets thrown at you by the world. Um, and that's not always true. I think that resilience is just being able to take care of yourself, um, even when you don't want to, even when it's really hard, uh, even when we live in a world that doesn't really lend itself to self-care. Um, I think that that's a much more positive uh, kind of healing-oriented definition uh, that doesn't imply that we have to sit there and take all the crap that the world throws at us. Wow, mm -hmm. that's beautifully put. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. It doesn't make reference to nylon, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we'll forgive you for that one. This but yeah, I completely agree. Only about nylon, so yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that's so all resiliency is limited you. to on the internet. <laughs> so, starting at the beginning, as most good stories do, um, tell us about the early moments in your life that fortified you to be the resilient little fuck that you are today. And, <laughs> and also, in our first episode, we talked about our personal origin stories. Could you give us, like, a summary of yours and, I don't know, just basically why you think that we chose you specifically for this podcast? <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Well think origin story um i was born in minnesota really cold um i lived there at the beginning of my life uh before my parents moved me to rhode island um my mom was a super hard worker uh she was a print broadcast journalist she was a writer she was an editor she was always working multiple jobs at the same time um 
my dad was not as much that. <laughs> so my <laughs> earliest memories of resilience definitely come from like my mom really being strong and an example of hard work and love for your family, even when the world is kind of working against you. Um, she was just so tough, took care of me, uh, no matter what kind of craziness was going on in the world. Um, and so she uh, understandably uh, packed up my brother and I when I was eight, he was four, uh, moved us on to Connecticut, um, basically Rhode Island, all the New England <laughs> states are the same. I can say that because I'm from there. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it like well enough, but my mom you know, was working really hard. She was a single parent at that point. So uh, she had like a four hour daily commute happening. Um, so I was pretty much uh, there to raise my brother and uh, maintain the house and do all of that. Um, but it really taught me um, hard work at an early age. Um, and I think kind of uh, started the uh, road to resiliency. Well, I was already resilient at that point. I think that we all have <laughs> resilience just kind of in us innately, but um, that's sort of my earliest memories of really having to consistently be uh, resilient. And uh, by the time I met Meg again, this is age eight. So by the time I met Megan, I was 21. Uh, we skip all of the years in between. <laughs> uh, so Not much can happen. <laughs> by the time I met Megan, I <laughs> had racked up so many experiences, many beautiful life experiences, lots of, uh, <laughs> not as beautiful life experiences that test us, um, but again, make us more uh, resilient and strong. So I think Megan was like, who of my friends has the most fucked up life that I can get on? No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I think that Megan knows that. <laughs> I think Megan knows that I've been through um, quite a lot in my my years, and we've had a lot of really honest conversations about um, what it means to take care of yourself and be resilient even when it's hard. So I like to think that that's why you brought me here. <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't know. I'd say that's pretty correct. Okay. I mean, I, I just met you this year and I was blown away by your story and um, <laughs> it kind of puts your own life and your own struggles in um, not comparison, but kind of just like puts them to scale. And, uh, I mean, we're all going through so much in our life, especially during COVID, but to hear about your struggles and to hear about your story was really inspirational to me because I went away from like meeting you to like, I don't know, it just made me feel like I could conquer the world at that point. And also half of that is your personality, honestly. So I think it's, in like retrospect and then also going forward like your personality and who you are has really um propelled you to do all the amazing things that you've been able to do and th these things that we're going to talk about during this episode and i think that's why we chose you for our first official episode well our first episode with a guest <laughs> 
Yeah, and I would love to add to that that Cass just exudes all this positive energy, like, in every direction. <laughs> like, he walks into a room and boom, it's there. And um, that was, like, his energy and, like, just his gentleness and kindness, like, was what always struck me as some special about Cass. And also to learn in becoming one of your friends, you know, like all of the things you've been through it's just really incredible that you are who you are and so like who is the most resilient person that i know it definitely is Cass. you are both so kind and i feel so (laughs) similarly about you both as as you know i won't wax poetic about how much i love you guys until after we stop recording (laughs) i hope you know (laughs) i appreciate you yeah well we appreciate you too and i think that the the idea of resiliency is really, really poignant right now, especially with COVID and going back to school and just where everyone is in their life. It's like, how do we get to tomorrow? How do we get to the next day? So I think it's a great idea for our first podcast. And again, we're glad to have you here. (laughs) Thank you so much. It really is just one day at a time. (laughs) That's all we can really do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What was your first like bad bitch moment? Aka, like when would when would you say in your life that you like did something really resilient, and then you recognize the power of that resiliency, and like it just changed, or like something clicked inside of you, and you were like, "Man, I can really own this." Okay, so. <laughs> I started going to therapy when I was 13 years old, um, and that is a powerful time to start going to therapy. I'll just say, like, when you're an adolescent, um, I think that everybody should go to therapy. Um, and I actually, I remember this distinctly. I, I had a panic attack in my freshman year Spanish class, and I was sent down to the guidance counselor and I had never like even considered going to therapy for myself before. Um, and I sat down with this wonderful woman, Gretchen, lover. Um, and Gretchen <laughs> said to me, because I was so insecure about needing a therapist um, or wanting one. And she said, Cass, I believe that every single person should be born into this world and given a social security number and a therapist. Like, you should not receive... <laughs> <laughs> your uh, your identification number without um, also a person that you can like, talk to. Just ideally, everybody in the world would have that person that you can go to once a week. Um, and it's really important to set aside that time exclusively to take care of yourself and work on yourself and process the things that are going on in your life um, with just zero regrets about it. Um, that's so important. And when I realized that and took ownership and like made an appointment with a therapist, I felt like such a bad bitch. I felt amazing. (laughs) Um, All of a sudden I realized that it was okay for me to take action to take care of myself. I'd always been very reluctant to do that before I felt like it was inconveniencing someone or, Mm. you know, I don't know. I'm sure we've all been there where we don't want to do something to take care of ourselves because we feel like it'll be an inconvenience. But that was my first moment. I was like, damn, actually, I can take care of myself and that'll make me a lot happier. Um, And this person will meet with me once a week to do it. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So it might sound silly, but starting therapy, I felt 
so cool, <laughs> so strong. <laughs> I wish everyone felt that way. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely. I wish that everybody could have access to uh, someone like Gretchen in their lives as well, especially at age 13. <laughs> like everybody needs someone to talk to, especially when you're going through puberty. Like my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dang. Shout out to Gretchen. Yeah. We honestly. all need a Gretchen. We love her. <laughs> <laughs> so coming out both as a trans male and gay, um, can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you and if you have any advice to anyone going through something similar? Sure. Um, so I will just say, uh, coming right out of the gate, uh, for clarification, so I'm a trans male, which is where you're born, like where you're assigned uh, as a female and then you recognize uh, that you feel something different within yourself. And now I uh, proudly have the M on my driver's license and all that jazz. Um, so I'm also a man who likes men, which makes me, makes me a gay. Um, and I know you guys are pretty <laughs> firmly uh, understanding of that, but some people get really confused when you use trans and gay in the same sentence. They're like, what? You can be both at the same wow. time? <laughs> I thought gay was a gender. And I've, I've had some amazing conversations, but um, that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, I would say that uh, it's been it's been mostly like very affirming and empowering for me to come out. Uh, it was a little bit strange being at Smith, which is a historically women's college. Um, I got there and very quickly realized, oh, I'm quite different from most of the people here. Like, I just felt this immense discomfort with being lumped in with all of the, the women and the she, her pronouns uh, being used to refer to the student body. Um, and at the same time, going to this wonderful uh, social justice oriented school, I very quickly gained an understanding of uh, the fact that there are many ways to express your gender outside uh, just being a man or a woman. And I used they, them pronouns for a while. And finally, the the next year, I settled on he, him and realized, no, I really want to start taking tea and transition. So uh, it was a long exercise of really having to sit down and reflect on how I'm feeling um, and what I need and what I want. Because uh, I, I made some really like intense, permanent decisions that like, age 19 and 20 and there are some people that tell you like no if you're only 19 you can't decide to take off your boobies because you <laughs> want to be a man whatever um but at the end of the day like and this is the top piece of advice i give folks especially like young people transitioning you know yourself better than anybody uh sometimes people will tell you that they think they know what's best for you or that you're doing something wrong but only you uh, can truly know yourself and what is best for you. And that should take precedence above uh, literally anything else. Um, do what you're comfy with. Uh, so it was really tough <laughs> to get that going. Um, I had to sacrifice a lot to um, get top surgery, for example. I had to like take some time off school and crowdfund to pay for the surgery. But I have a lot of really amazing people in my life who supported me and helped me get to my GoFundMe goal. And I was able to uh, pursue all of the um, 
like medical uh, uh, resources that I needed to feel comfy in my gender. Um, so that was a trip, but really affirming to do um, at Smith. I'm grateful that I was there with my loved ones and being gay at the same time is like, it's one more layer that you have to explain to uh, namely like older straight people for the most part I've found that people in my age group kind of understand um, and I hope I don't alienate any of your older listeners but, um, I don't know. <laughs> we're I actually really of... popular at retirement homes <laughs> so sorry um, no, I just find that uh, folks already kind of have a tough time understanding gender and then you add like being gay on top of it and they're like well what does that mean so you were a lesbian and now you're a man like that was some, something someone asked me once and I was like how did you get that from... <laughs> um so I guess the next piece of advice for someone going through the same thing is exercise patience if you can um you know it shouldn't be our obligation uh as trans and gay people to explain to our cis straight counterparts like the nature of our identity and like you're not obligated you don't have to um but i would just say that people uh 99 of the time are coming from a place of ignorance rather than a place of like hate or rudeness like they just genuinely uh, don't know and probably haven't experienced a gay and or trans person before uh so i find myself having to uh, sometimes take a deep breath when I'm having a maybe frustrating conversation. And uh, I do my best to kind of slow down and uh, treat that person with kindness in an educational way. And I think about their next interaction with a trans person and how it'll hopefully be better uh, because of my patience. So that's uh, another little bit of advice I'd give. Well, I would say I feel like there's nothing more resilient than a person who is being who they are unapologetically and especially people who come out because I think when people, especially straight people coming from um, my perspective, I'm in a relationship with a man, you know, um, coming from that perspective, like I don't think some people understand that when someone comes out, you come out over and over and over again, you mm -hmm. know, like it's not just like a one and done. You're always going to have to come out to someone. So do you have anything to attest to that? Oh, big time. Um, actually, even just my my name. Uh, so my my dead name, which is the name that you were born with and you hypothetically like kill it in lieu of your, your new gender affirming name so murder I was, <laughs> murder. I was born with the name Cassandra which is really freaking long and then I went by Cassie and now it's just Cass C-A-S because um, I wanted to maintain that sort of connection with the original name and also kind of out of respect and love for uh for my mom um mm. so but it is like a relatively abnormal name. I did some research and it is like technically a boy's name in some like hmm. uh, like European like Nordic countries, I'm pretty sure, maybe. <laughs> um but the point is most people see the name Cass and they either don't know what gender or they actually assume um female. So I do find myself in situations where people mostly on like Zoom in classes, they'll see like long hair and the name and I might get misgendered. Um, and I've just become uh, very comfortable and 
again, patient with people and trying to uh, correct them gently, um, realizing that if I were to misgender somebody, um, God forbid, you know, I would want them to do the same for me and make that correction. So again, it really is an ongoing battle. And it's hard when somebody like uses the wrong pronouns, for example, and you're in a Zoom class with 25 other people and to hop off mute and say, oh, actually, I use he, him pronouns. Thanks. Um, mm. You know, that can be a tough thing to do. But at the end of the day, uh, it's uh, important to stick up for myself and create that um, space and also hopefully empower other trans or gen not gender non-conforming people to do the same thing um, and normalize spaces where we're able to advocate for ourselves and our identities because everyone can be referred to in the way that makes them comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's very important. Yeah. Do you feel like it's gotten easier for you to do over time? Like, was there ever a time that it was kind of difficult for you to to, you know, unmute and say that? Mm -hmm. um, metaphorically and then also do you think societally it's been getting easier or do you feel like nothing has really changed <laughs> yeah i i'd say yes on both counts like there are definitely still moments of of difficulty um, both personally and i think as a society um with talking about transness but it really is kind of a practice makes well, not perfect, but practice makes easier <laughs> thing. Mm. Um, I, I think that when I was first starting out, especially being at a, a quote unquote women's college, um, it could be really stressful to quite literally out myself um, in front of a bunch of people, um, especially before I started uh, transitioning and taking testosterone and really being like red as male uh, out in the world. It's a very vulnerable thing to share that part of yourselves especially when no one else in the room is really necessarily going to reciprocate that um but it definitely got easier the more that i did it um and i also found that a lot of group settings um out here in western mass uh will be more gender inclusive and it's actually like when you meet someone you offer up like your gender pronouns um, and that's just a uh, a regular part of the interaction, which I think is really kind of beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And I would also like to add to that um, in the classroom. This is really interesting because this is probably the first year I've taught at a school where we've talked about really respecting each individual student as it pertains to pronouns and um, we've been encouraged and we continue to encourage members of our staff to always open up that space and ask for student pronouns and it's really cool to see how that's a change that really just happened just the, the past couple years in my teaching experience and so to see like as you were saying um in some group settings like it's becoming a norm of offering up our pronouns like that's something we all need to kind of take the lead on doing um even in social group settings because if we can change that culture you know like that could make this space so much more safe and comfortable for everyone mm -hmm. absolutely thank you so much for saying that because it really does start in the classroom, like the first time that I had ever witnessed um, that kind of pronoun exchange, uh, sometimes people call them pronoun circles, um, was undergraduate like at Smith. And sometimes I think about how different our cultures would be if 
we made that a regular part of life for high schoolers or middle schoolers, elementary mm-hmm. schoolers. How amazing would that be? Like, what would that do for trans inclusiveness or even just allowing students to realize things about themselves and come into themselves or even like play around with different pronouns? I mean, you can't realize that you're comfortable with something until you say hey i i'd like to try using these pronouns for a while like it was so important for me to have a safe space and a community where i could say i use these pronouns please refer to me in this way and i could try like they them he him see what worked best and if we had those spaces just normally in schools um, for young people oh my gosh it would be so much better i think more people would feel comfortable coming out um I could talk about that for hours, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we're going to do two happies and a sappy, or two happies and a crappy, if you want the X-rated version. Um, <laughs> and it's the part of the episode where each of us share two happy things and one sappy thing that has happened to us in the past 24 hours. So you formulate it like a sandwich so happy sappy and then happy so i'm gonna go first my first happy is that i just ate a whole box of mac and cheese and it was delicious i haven't had mac and cheese in a while and i added um like one of those impossible burgers (laughs) a frozen impossible burger and uh it was a great meal (laughs) my sappy is that also today my dog Dolly ran down the street after a bunch of teenagers wanting to hang out with them and was jumping on them and trying to lick them, and that's kind of rude, so she wouldn't come back. And, I mean, at least she wasn't, like, trying to hurt them. At least it was affectionate. But uh, that was my sappy, because I got a trainer better. Um, And then... My other happy is that I get to talk to you guys today. Sorry if I took your happy, but <laughs> darn it. <laughs> it's a pretty big happy. I'm excited. We've prepared for this episode quite a bit, so I'm happy that we've gotten the ball rolling and that it's happening. So, yeah, those are my two happies and a happy. Awesome. Cass, do you want to go next? Sure, I can give it a shot. Um, So my happy is um, that I uh, woke up next to my beautiful fiancé. What a gay thing to say. (laughs) But wow, I mean, how can you not smile? Um, My crappy is that I had to uh, drop one of my classes. That was interesting, so it was kind of a bummer, but less work for me so it's also kind of a happy um and i'm just gonna have to double up on danica's other happy and say that i'm so thrilled to be on this podcast with you both it's hard to talk that <laughs> love to see your your faces and hear your voices so really it's one happy and one sappy and we all share the last happy <laughs> exactly a oh, i love it happy True. So much happy. Um, well, right before this episode began, my new Papasan chair was uh, delivered. And I was talking to Cass and Danica about it right before we started recording. So that's definitely my happy. Um, 
And my sappy is, hmm, this is also kind of like what Cass said, like it's like a sappy, but it's also like a happy. Um, earlier I got a little overwhelmed. I'm planning my wedding and um, we just decided we are maybe going to get a videographer. And so um, there's been a lot of like emails back and forth with a videographer and with a catering company and with our um, like design plan with our um, planner and so I was a little overwhelmed by that earlier but also really excited because man looking at that catering menu mm, that food's gonna be good <laughs> yeah so I guess this brings us into our um, next point your nonprofit because wow you've been hustling in 2020 um, and you've really made it into what would be a very painful horrible year into something that you can look back and say, hey, I, I was actually really cool and did a lot of cool things, you know, in 2020. And one of these things is creating this nonprofit in your mother's honor. So um, while this work is surely rewarding and also brings you closer to the memory of your mother, it must also be extremely mentally and emotionally taxing. So how have you stayed afloat throughout all of the successes and the hardships of this? Yeah, that is such an important question. Um, it's really an ongoing struggle. I definitely don't have it all figured out yet. Um, I have a really amazing therapist, a uh, very talented guy that I see every single weekend. Um, I never miss an appointment because, again, it's really important that I keep the work going. Um, I think that when we experience a trauma or a major loss, we kind of respond to it in one of two major ways, um, both of which are valid. We can either kind of lie down and rest and be still and really process that loss, or we kind of end up in uh, sort of overdrive mode, uh, which I I end up doing. I, I work until I don't have to think about the, the difficult thing anymore, um, which as you said, Megan, can be um, a blessing. It can really help to uh, create something um, meaningful out of a really tough time. Uh, at the same time, it's really easy to lose yourself in the work and just stick your head down and uh, end up ignoring uh, some of the other really important parts of healing. Um, so on one side of it, you're just kind of trying to get through every day um, and just make it to the next one. But on the other hand, you, you do want to maintain like a growth mindset, I guess. Um, you know, eventually you don't want to just be like slogging through every day. You want to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and feel like you can, uh, you can keep on growing and uh, creating more space for self-care for yourself. So I think that to be completely honest, I really feel like for a very long time, even until just now, I was sort of in that just get through the day space. And only now that we're coming up on the year mark, am I able to really start to hold myself more accountable to make self-care like the top priority, if that makes sense. So for me, that looks like you know, setting alarms every 30 minutes on my phone, which sounds ridiculous, but I literally need to do that. So I'm 
reminded to snap out of my work or whatever I'm doing and do like a physical check-in. So I'll literally like stop what I'm doing, scan head to toe and think, okay, like, are all of my physical needs met? Am I upset right now? What do I need? Um, because sometimes those needs don't make themselves known until we literally like take the time to interrogate ourselves and figure out what's going on. At least for me, my, my body definitely suppresses some of the things that it needs. Um, I also uh, am such a friend of my calendar. Um, I love it so much. I put everything in my little Google calendar. Um, if you have a planner, whatever you use, totally valid. Um, I believe that we will only, well, it's not that we'll only do things if we make time for them, but I think we're a lot more likely to. So things from the simple necessities like brushing your teeth and taking lunch and taking a shower, everything from that to like my homework assignments, they are all um, in there. Like I create little time blocks just to like keep myself actually going um, and making sure that I am doing what I need to do. What I need to do being like feeding myself, <laughs> staying alive. Um, it's really amazing the things that your body will forget about when you're, you know, 10 pages deep in a report or something for school. So again, seems basic, but uh, prioritize the uh, necessities of life. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it can be difficult. Yeah, beautifully put. And uh, also you had talked about having a community and a support group around you um from when you were coming out and also just in the like the trans community and i know you found a community through your nonprofit as well can you speak to that and like how you found those people and how you've cultivated those relationships and kind of what those relationships mean in terms of your personal resiliency and kind of therapy and mental health yeah, sure. Um, so it's very much still um, growing and in its early stages, but um, the nonprofit has really been an amazing uh, opportunity for me to see what's going on in my community, uh, which is so critical during this time of isolation and COVID. It can be difficult to, to see one another um, literally in person. Um, I was very much... Uh, Megan can attest to this. I was very much like anti-technology and anti-social media, um, but I also like recognize that it's a very important part of uh, running an organization and maintaining a nonprofit and fundraising in the 21st century. So I begrudgingly uh, <laughs> made an Instagram and a Facebook and everything for the nonprofit. Um, and just having the opportunity to follow um, other nonprofits, uh, community centers for LGBTQ people, um, and then just the other young queer folks that are doing amazing work for their communities. It's so inspiring to me. Um, I think that these days it's really easy to feel like you're alone in the world um, when you're not seeing people face to face. Um, can feel even more isolating when you have these like, issues of identity at play, um, feeling like you're far away from 
your community, um, your family, in the case of queer people. Um, but this has really allowed me to feel closer to them, um, also in a way that lets me keep my mom's name going, which is really wonderful. Um, it's also giving me a chance to connect with some of my amazing queer friends. Um, we have like a little open hour to work on things related to the nonprofit twice a week. So I'll get to see their little pixely faces on my computer screen as we send out letters and make posts and research and all the all the other fun things needed to, to run an organization. Um, so it's really been a wonderful opportunity. I love the queer community. I feel really lucky to be a part of it. Um, and we are paying out the first scholarships in June. So I'm especially excited to give people in my community money <laughs> during Yay. this wacky period of time in between high school and college. It's like really financially the worst. So <laughs> hope we can make it easier for some folks. Yeah, and that's going to be such a great resource for students that maybe don't have supportive home lives in their coming out process or maybe, you know, they're still figuring out their coming out process and they're looking out for ways to get to college and then they stumble upon the Paula Ford Martin Memorial Fund. Like that's going to be so impactful and wow, that's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much. I love you That's so much. really the dream is for it to make a positive impact on other on other queer kids. Like my brother and I, like my mom was just such a force for good and an advocate and an ally. Um and we want to keep that energy going in her honor um through this organization. So I'm really excited about it. Um and speaking of connection actually, um our latest project that we've been working on. Uh, is a resource directory um, for the LGBTQ community. If you go to paulafordmartin.org slash resources, um, we have this growing list of um, information, uh, Connecticut-specific resources, youth-specific resources. It's a growing list, but it's it's been helpful for some folks that are looking for more information about the community and resources that are available to them. Um, so that's been another really great opportunity to just compile information um, and let people know that they're not alone. Um, people have written about, gosh, every topic. There's you know, legal summaries to let you know like what your rights are as a queer person. It's, it's amazing, the volume of stuff that's out there. Um, so that's been another really fun project to work on. You are such an inspiration. It's amazing that you can get all that up and running in such a short span of time, honestly. Um, it's such a huge project. And when we had talked before planning this podcast, we had talked about um, your term of sacred wound um, from the loss of your mother, turning that into this amazing nonprofit that is going to touch so many lives. So could you tell us a little bit about like what that means to you to have that um, to have that outlet and to also have that sacred wound as, as you had put it before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to credit my, my dear friend, Rachel, with uh, the term of sacred wound. She's, um, a dear friend of mine and the, the first person I met after losing my mom, who had also like lost a mother, um, in similar circumstances, um, and just finding that connection, even though it was months after the fact, was so important and healing for me. Um, so shout out Rachel, but she uh, 
she told me that when she thinks about the loss of her mother, she considers it her sacred wound because it's, of course, this horrible, painful void in your life. You know, this person that you loved so much is now gone. Um, it's a horrible wound, but at the same time, it's sacred because through that loss, you're able to access parts of yourself that never would have been available to you otherwise. Um, and for me, I think that's what the nonprofit represents. I, I lost my mom. Um, and of course this just amazing, amazing human being, she was really just a loss to the world. But at the same time, she literally made it her final will, her last will and testament to, um, to send my brother and I to, to school was that it was number one. And then number two was it all goes to the scholarship. Like she was so clear about protecting LGBTQ youth in her very last wish on this earth. And I think that that is so special, um, sacred (laughs) one might say. So it, it hurts so much can't even tell you and that's not something that will ever go away um but it made so many beautiful things possible like if it weren't for my mom and the the unfortunate way that everything went down i wouldn't be at umass right now i wouldn't have the resources to get my master's degree i wouldn't certainly wouldn't have the resources to pay off Smith College, very expensive. Um, And the Paula Ford Martin Memorial Fund uh, would not exist. So again, I certainly wish that she were still here, but at the same time, I am really grateful that she made it her life's work to to keep kids uh, like my brother and I feeling happy and empowered and safe and uh, and mothered, we're gonna we're gonna be, you know, mothering one another, even though uh, she's not there to do that right now. So, hope that makes makes sense. It's still like you know, obviously emotional and raw to talk about, but mm-hmm. it's important. I think it. <laughs> I get a little bit better at speaking about it every time. If that's not resiliency for you, I, I don't know what is like. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. I mean, she was freaking resilient too. Like it's, it's worth mentioning actually. So my mom had um, stage four metastatic breast cancer. uh, And we were told when she was diagnosed in 2015, that she would maybe make it a year. And she, again, diagnosed November, 2015, I believe, um, and passed in March of 2020. So that's a really long time. She outlived a lot of people, vast majority of folks with an illness of her stage. And I really do believe it's a testament to her resilience um, Mm -hmm. and just uh, the strength of a mother really wanting to see her kids graduate from uh, college and high school, respectively. Um, It's a really powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember in when I met you in the internship, you, you would always refer to your mom as Paula. (laughs) And I I always remember, Oh, Paula, she's so great. Like, and it took me a second. I remember the first time you said that to me, I was like, 
wait, is that his mom <laughs> referring to her by her first name? And so that, that was something that was always stuck out to me. Your love towards your mom and your family is just really commendable. My mom is a star. She's kind of like a celebrity in my mind, so, which is where the uh, Paula reference came out of. I, for some reason, it feels more reverent to <laughs> feel like, yes, Paula, the queen. Yeah, well, you definitely have a lot of her fire in you and everything that you've been doing and just the way that you have chosen to live your life and continue her work because that was your choice to to continue that and to dedicate and devote so much of your time to the Paula Ford Martin Nonprofit Foundation. So it's amazing. <laughs> I sound like Trump. Oh, my God. Okay, we got to cut that part out. <laughs> And just because you said that, we're going to keep it. It's amazing. It's huge. It's huge. It's going to be brilliant. They're going to be the most bigly, the most brilliant, the smart. The, everyone's been saying it. People have said it. People have been saying it. It's gonna oh, be the mo- gonna be huge. Okay, we can't cut it out now. This is a turn that I did not expect <laughs> on our resiliency podcast. It's gonna be resilient, <laughs> bigly, very bigly strong. China episode. Vagina. China. Oh my god. <laughs> Perfect. You know, well, I. He, sorry, just one little anecdote. He pronounced Nepal like during an international, uh, I guess, foreign affairs meeting thing. He pronounced Nepal nipple at one point when I was there, and it was just like, oh my god. Of course well, he did. Yeah. Oh I mean, it's not super surprising now, but at the time it was really embarrassing. So at the end of each of our episodes, Cass, we like to do something called rhyming with Cass, sass. I guess the best way to wrap what sass is is just what would be like a piece of information that you would give a sister or a mister to save them from stress, from your experiences that you've had with resiliency and the things that have made Cass Martin Cass Martin, how would you impart your almighty wisdom to our viewers or listeners? My almighty wisdom, Megan. My (laughs) goodness. You're so kind. I think of Um, you so highly. (laughs) My goodness. Well, my wisdom is definitely not almighty, but I so appreciate your confidence in me. I will say, well, actually, the wisdom I am going to share is very mighty. It was, um, it's been shared with me by many a therapist. Um, so your body knows everything. (laughs) Your body, uh, holds all the stress that's in your brain and all of the bullshit that is, uh, flying around in your life. All of the stress manifests throughout your whole person. Um, so whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, um, I try to, uh, change something like about my surroundings to like kind of snap my body out of the stress mode. Um, and I learned recently that, um, our, I'm going to mispronounce this olfactory, 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 right? Yeah. The nose, that sense, (laughs) the smell, um, something about it's like wiring in your, in your brain basically makes it um more amenable to like a hard reset these are not technical terms at all my therapist would be disappointed but um long story short if you're feeling really stressed 
smell something nice and it will trick your brain into thinking it's in a field of flowers. Um, hmm. I like to light incense or um, sometimes if I'm going out and I'm feeling anxious, I'll put like a little bit of lavender or something on the inside of my mask. That can be helpful. Um, but the mind is a child and you can trick it into thinking that it's okay again by smelling something nice or breathing slowly or I'm sure that there are a million other tools, but yes, I hope that this um, saves a sister or a mister from stress one day. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I mean, the body, the body does really keep the score, <laughs> you know, it's keeping all of those, that trauma or those experiences in physically. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I didn't really connect those two, but it, it makes sense with, with this sense of smell and then kind of as a reset yeah it reminds me of burnout which i actually just read and mentioned in the last episode but read like last month and i feel like some of the things that you just said resonate so much with that and i think about how i was like 26 years old when i figured that out like this nugget of information that you just imparted and i feel like I want to like shout it from a mountaintop and tell everyone because I feel like some people really don't know that your body holds and does keep the score. Um, you know, it really does hold all of the things that we experience inside of it. So it's so important that we take care of ourselves mindfully and um, consistently. Yes, it is so real. It's amazing how just like striking a 30 second power pose can trick you into thinking that you're feeling powerful because your body is in that position, even when your mind is not. It's really good stuff. And I'm going to have to read that burnout book because I think that's like the 10th time you've recommended it to me this week, Megan. <laughs> I think everyone after listening to these two episodes will have to. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Yeah, also The Body Keeps the Score is a great book as well. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much it. Thank you so much, Cass, for being on the show. And if you guys, our listeners, our loyal, devoted listeners, would like to donate or just check out the Paula Ford Martin Fund, you can go to paulafordmartin.org slash donate if you want to donate <laughs> or just check it out. And also make sure that... You like and subscribe to our podcast, Bravely Being, at Bravely Being Podcast. And we also are on Instagram. So check us out there. Woohoo. And thank you for bravely being with us today, Cass. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.